Good morning. Happy birthday. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. We get this great gift of the Holy Spirit. On different birthdays, you might get special, different gifts. When you're very young, you might not realise this, but of course, when you come to 18 or maybe 21, traditionally, you would get the key of the door. Of course, most of us have already had it by that stage. I think I was not that much older than my kids when I had a key for the back door, you know, so that I could get in when I came home from school at the end of the afternoon. And uh, when I was in Northampton, of course, having been inducted to the churches there, I had three churches and I had a huge bunch of keys for all those doors. But here, I'm very fortunate in that I only have one. And it's so easy to open the door and open another door and open the next door and be able to go wherever I need to in this building just with the one key. But of course I have other keys too and I've got a key for the front door and I was out the other day and I'd, I'd come home and I put the key in the lock and it didn't turn. I put it in and I went, oh, something's up here. You know, I'm used to having keys. I've known for years how to use a key. I've known for the past year how to use this key. I should be able to put it in the lock and just... And then I went, oh, wait a minute. And I gave it a bit of a push. And it went in properly. And then it turned. It just wasn't quite there. And then, of course, it didn't want to come back out either. (laughs) And it's actually got a very slight bend in it. I don't know what I did. You probably can't see it from back there, but it's got a very, very slight bend. And it didn't fit. It wasn't that the heat, the scorching heat of summer had affected all the metalwork and it all expanded. Something had happened. The the key had got slightly bent. So it didn't fit the lock. It wasn't quite what I expected it to be. It was nearly there. But it wasn't quite what I expected it to be. There are many times in our lives that things are not quite what we expect. If you cast your mind back a few weeks, probably a few months now, actually, we can think of Moses tending his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees something strange, something that was not what he expected. He was used to all the sights, all the things that you would see out in a wilderness. But he saw something strange and he came close. 
And the voice cried out to him to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. He had had a vision of a burning bush. And the bush was not consumed by the fire, but that's where God was. And he called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. To lead them out to the promised land. This morning, we have a passage where there are people gathered. They're in a room and they know what the room looks like because they've met there before. And they've prayed there before. And they're used to what they would experience. But something unexpected happens. And again, like Moses at the burning bush, there's flames. And these flames do not burn. Not like the usual ones that you keep your hand out the fire to avoid. But the fire comes and touches each disciple. The Holy Spirit calls them to go and lead people from the captivity of sin to the promised new life that comes in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to the believers and gives birth to the church. Christ's body continuing in the world to be his people. Now the people outside of that room, the people in Jerusalem, knew what they were expecting too. They'd come to the holy city to celebrate a festival, the festival of first fruits. They wanted to come and give glory to God, but something unexpected has happened. Why can they hear people that are speaking in a language that they can comprehend? Why can they hear words that they know? And they're puzzled. When they went to the city, they did not expect to hear voices that they understood. And that's a challenging thing to think of in worship today. We, whether we're leading worship or doing the family address or trying to give notices or bringing the sermon, try to put it into words. Whoever stood here tries to put it into words that you might hear, that you might be able to drink in, that you might be able to understand. And we, if we're sat in the congregation, try and choose a place to worship that we will understand something of what's going on there. It can be confusing if we don't. If you've ever been to a church in another country or heard a worship service given in a different language that you don't know, it can be tricky 
but we choose normally to find something in our language, our worship style. And we perhaps choose what we want to wear because it suits us. And we come to the place that suits us, that really fits in. Now, of course, whatever we say here, whatever we do here, it's not going to suit everybody. You know, that'd be impossible, would it? But these people, these people that have gathered from the first century Mediterranean, went to Jerusalem, not seeking to be comfortable, not expecting to be able to understand, not expecting to be included in the worship. They went expecting to be excluded and not really understand what was going on. They expect there to be a barrier that they would not be able to cross. They didn't seek a place of worship that suited them perfectly, but they sought to worship the God who is perfect. The one whose love is perfect. The one whose justice is perfect. And they are surprised and quite taken aback of these people in Jerusalem because they've suddenly found that they can understand something. The God who is perfect has done something that allows them to hear praise and adoration and teaching. The God who is perfect has done something that will allow us flawed humans with all our differences, with all our imperfections, to be able to come to him and understand him in a new way. And the way that God has done that is by coming to us. That's what is amazing about the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the opening of a way for more and more to come to know the Lord. It's the equipping of the church to be able to grow and welcome people. It's the building of the relationship between one another, putting something into us that will make us at one with all other believers. A traditional understanding of this event, the day of Pentecost, would give us an apostle speaking in a language that's been gifted by the Holy Spirit, a language from somewhere else. And a quick count of the locations, depending on where you put the commas in that passage, sometimes gives you a dozen places or a dozen groups to match the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles by this stage. But of course, there's more than 12 in that room. There's more likely to have been 120. 
Each one of that 120 has been blessed by the Spirit. Each one has been anointed to do the new thing. Each one is to be a part of God's growing church. And as they are praying, as they are gathered, perhaps some of them are speaking in a language that normally would not be recognised by the people of Jerusalem, be they from Jerusalem itself, be they from Galilee, be them from anywhere on the earth. They are baptised in the spirit by this vision of a flame and are speaking a heavenly language. And that God's Holy Spirit has unknown to the crowd also been touching them. The foreigners outside are hearing what God wants them to hear. They are interpreting what may have been said. They hear voices in their own language, but it is unclear whether those in the room are speaking in that language. The Holy Spirit is acting on the crowd and preparing them to receive the message that will soon be given. That leads us to think of those passages we've had in recent weeks. Where it's not just the Lord speaking to one individual, the one that will share the good news. But often the Lord moves ahead of where we are and prepares the ground. It softens the heart of the unbeliever and makes them ready to receive. When we pray that the Lord might equip us by his spirit, that we might go out and share something of the word, that we might touch with love, that we might proclaim his goodness, we also have to be prepared Uh, seeking and praying that he will prepare the ground ahead of us, that he will soften the hearts of those that we will later have an opportunity to share with. There's something of that going on here. The crowd have come into Jerusalem and many of them are open to hear what they will. Later on, after this passage, Peter addresses the crowd. And as he speaks to them, he draws on scripture and he picks on two sources. He uses the words of Joel and of David. And through them, he gives testimony that the Lord has come And the spirit has been given. In speaking of these two words, Peter is pointing to different eras in the history of God's people. 
saying that throughout the ages, God's word has declared that the Lord will save. What's more, Peter is inciting, is through citing these two sources, he's showing that he's not this simple, poorly educated Galilean. These men are from Galilee. How can we expect to understand them? But he is giving evidence, corroborative evidence, in a way that the two men would normally be required in a Jewish court. The promise of centuries ago and the promise of Jesus which was just over a week ago, are revealed to be true in what happens on the day of Pentecost. God keeps his promises, and we can trust in the words of Jesus. Which leads us to that question. What is it that they've heard? And I don't mean to go back to asking, was it in their language or was it something that they interpreted to their language but what are the words they are hearing what does this mean they ask not simply what does this mean that they can hear somebody speaking but what does this mean that the good news is being proclaimed What does this mean that Jesus has died and is risen? What does this mean that he is ascended to the Father's side? We hear them declaring the wonders of God, they say. Did those outside the doors hear us proclaiming the wonders of God? Do they stop and ask, what does this mean? What does it mean for us to know a risen saviour? What does it mean that sins can be forgiven? What does it mean that the spirit has come untouched the heart of the believer and dwells within us here today. Does it mean something? Does it mean something for our lives? Does it mean something for this church? Does it mean something about how we are changed? The crowd find it striking. It must mean something. It meant for them the same as it can mean for us. That there is life. There is hope. There is love. And the Holy Spirit coming... On that first day of the church, on that day of the church's birth, 
That Holy Spirit's coming is a key that opens the way for the good news to be shared. The way for the good news to be proclaimed by us, ordinary people. Not just those that have gone and done a degree in theology. Not just those who are the elders of the church. Not just those that have spent their life in this place, but all of us, young and old, whatever our background, can be inspired and strengthened and equipped by the Spirit to take the good news out the door and to the whole earth. May the doors that have hindered the spread be open now. Amen.